welcome to the Inspiring Sustainability Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to invite onto the podcast Christine Linz, the Executive Secretary of REN21, uh, which I'm, uh, is a very interesting organisation. I'll be very soon asking uh, Christine to tell us more about it. Um, so, welcome, Christine. Thank you very much. Uh, hello, Adam. Good afternoon or good evening. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm right now in China, in Beijing, where it is uh, 10.30 so p.m. So for me, it's good evening, but for you, it's probably good afternoon. It is good afternoon to you. Uh, I'm actually speaking from London. And uh, just for the listeners out there, if you've stumbled across this on uh, various platforms, you can find about more about uh, myself, Adam Woodall, and uh, my business, Inspiring Sustainability, by looking at the website, inspiring-sustainability.com. But let's get on with the uh, interview now. So, Christine, um, tell us a little bit more about REN21 and and maybe uh, about yourself as well. Um, REN21 was created in 2004 um, at the outcome of the first international conference on renewable energy that took place in Bonn in Germany. And uh, it was uh, created as a multi-stakeholder network. Um, I will always call it, uh, refer to it as a coalition, as a coalition uh, for the of the willing, all those in the private and the public sector that are keen on advancing uh, renewable energy. So our members span from national governments, to uh, different uh, international institutions such as the United Nations, the European Commission, the World Bank, uh, but also industry associations, um, NGOs, and then actors in the field of science and academia. We have a small, a small secretariat that is based at the United Nations Environment Program in Paris, France. And um, we are uh, issuing an annual report, this Renewables uh, Global Status Report, uh, which tracks uh, the latest developments uh, in the field of policy, market, uh, industry, and uh, technology developments in all renewable sectors with the help of over 800 contributors from all around the world. So you've, uh, I imagine you've got a, a bit of a, a brain that's able to kind of deal with lots of uh, complexity there because you've got... Uh, just just a few stakeholders, I imagine, that you need to be uh, taking care of. Absolutely, but uh, we see that the success story of renewables over the last decade is really the success story of a very close cooperation between the private and the public sector. Mm. And we are very proud to have been able to build up such a network of really the best brains in renewable energy from all around the world who are uh, very um, uh, inspired and very passionate to share this good news. It's a very decentralized sector, so it's necessary in order to capture the whole market to have people all around the world uh, telling uh, the, the story accordingly. Yes, great. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's, uh, how long have you been with REN21 and uh, uh, what? just maybe a little bit about yourself apart from that? I'm uh, Well, I started my career, I started economics uh, in Austria, in my home country, and then I worked for the regional energy agency promoting renewable energy and energy efficiency there. Uh, then was working for a decade in Brussels uh, to build up an, a European industry body, and now I'm with REN21 since 2011. And uh, yeah, I'm, um, I'm quite passionate about 
the subject the matter and it's great to work with so many passionate people from all around the world and, and condense messages and, and bring them together and tell the story about renewable energy, which has been absolutely fantastic in the last uh, decades. Yeah, no, it's a fabulous story that's been happening. And so maybe just what, what's one thing that you'd like to share about yourself that isn't about when you're passionately communicating about uh, renewables? Um, then I'm um, I'm enjoying traveling, so um, I think it's it's great to to be able to go around the world and and see many different places, mm. and uh, and and very often I'm lucky that I can combine uh, my my the passion for going around the world uh, with my passion of informing people about uh, all the exciting things that happened in in the renewable sector. So. Uh, all in all, I'm very lucky. Yes, sounds, sounds fantastic combination. Now, uh, let's uh, get into the kind of the main part of the interview because there's there's a bit of an elephant in the room uh, as we speak, which is uh, a certain uh, President Trump, and he recently made a decision regarding uh, COP21 and the Paris Agreement, and. Uh, so we can just kind of get that one out of the way. Should we? Uh, I'd, I'd love to know your thoughts regarding that decision. Uh, well, effectively, um, I would say that our report can't be launched at the better moment than uh, in the aftermath of uh, the decision that President Trump has been taken has been taking to take the U.S. out of uh, the Paris Agreement. For me, honestly, this uh, decision comes as a big surprise. Because it comes at the moment when renewables are really showing that they are competitive. We had in 2016 a year where there was uh, more renewables capacity added uh, than ever before. We have a situation where um, investors got more capacity for their money. So investment went down and capacity increased, which is a clear demonstration that uh, prices for renewable energy have uh, fallen significantly and so renewables in many parts of the world are cost competitive and so I find it very surprising that the US president has taken this decision as uh, especially also from uh, his background as a businessman uh, at the moment when, when this has happened and um, he on the one hand took uh, the United States out of the Paris Agreement but in parallel we have announcements of uh, many regions in the US, uh, California for example uh, announced on or adopted on, on Thursday uh, a renewable energy target of 100% uh, to be reached uh, so all the power uh, consumed in California uh, should be renewable based uh, by the year 2045. We had uh, on Friday the announcement came from Bloomberg New Energy Finance that uh, there were five uh, solar power plants in Italy that were built without any um, subsidies. And so uh, we see that, that renewables are really uh, cost competitive. We have companies all around the world uh, committing to 100% renewable energy targets, and in that sense, uh, this U.S. decision is um, has to be respected, uh, but uh, is very surprising. Mm, yes, it is somewhat surprising, shall we say? Um, and one of the things that actually uh, is I have heard people uh, say that uh, we need to keep the fossil fuels uh, and support uh, that or and or nuclear to ensure baseloads covered 
And I'd be interested in your comments on, on that uh, belief. Well, effectively, that's, I would say that's the myth of the past. Um, of course, our current energy system is uh, a very centralized one based on, on baseload. But we see that with the increasing share of variable renewables, we see that systems uh, becoming more and more flexible. And of course, the more flexible uh, an energy system is, the, m the better high shares of renewables, uh, variable renewables can be integrated. Mm. We have situations all around the world where countries uh, nowadays have between 20 and 40 percent of their electricity coming from um, renewable energy sources. And in these countries, the lights don't go out and the, um, the machines uh, don't stop operating. So we nowadays have already clear examples um, that this is not only uh, possible, but it is even uh, reachable with uh, low costs. We have a situation that at least four, 24 countries in the world in 2016 met 5% or more of their annual electricity demand with wind power. Mm. Uh, nearly 40% in Denmark, about 10% in my home country, Austria. Uh, we we see that um, there is enough wind around the world so far to meet 4% of total electricity consumption worldwide. And these figures will increase. And of course, the higher the shares of variable renewables, the more flexible the system has to be. Mm. Um, the more enabling technologies need to be deployed, be it electric vehicles, uh, be it storage technologies. And this is also something that we are showcasing in the global status report, that uh, that these are actually growing and uh, and, and we're just uh, showing that, um, that 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 a system without uh, huge reliance on, on baseload is feasible. It's something new, of course. Uh, mm. It needs um, some tweaking, but it's possible. And I think uh, it's important that decision makers uh, can can see uh, and, and feel how how that can can look like and how other countries are doing this. And can you see a time in the future when we'll get countries that are actually powered 100% renewably? Uh, I think so. Um, we uh, we actually see it already happen uh, now in some islands and in some regions uh, in the world. Mm. And I think more and more we have a situation where close to 100% electricity in Costa Rica is uh, is uh, coming from from renewable energy. So uh, clearly, this is uh, this is getting more and more. And uh, and again, I think um, what we're often lacking, I think, is uh, imagination. Mm -hmm. And and these front runners are really demonstrating that this is feasible, and uh, and this is what we are uh, spreading as uh, as news also in the global status report, so that people uh, start to know about these things. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that actually the as you say that imagination and the imagination actually is. Whereas I'm aware, it's not that we need new technologies largely. It's actually it's just the uh, intelligent application of uh, existing uh, technologies, which to, to work together uh, to balance the, the the system. Exactly, and I think in the future we're going to see even more of this happen. We're going to see a combination of supply and demand. Uh, we're going to see consumption and production of energy much more decentralized. And uh, and we're going to see also 
uh, a much uh, stronger integration of sectors, electricity, heating, cooling, and transport. So uh, I, I think that we are just at the start uh, mm. of of what's feasible. Uh, we will, of course, also discover new technologies. I'm, I'm pretty sure about this, but already with the means that we have today, uh, can we um, imagine a future that looks completely, completely different uh, to what we have right now? Yeah, I think that's and so one of the things that I'm interested in is uh, how we just kind of get action happening. And sometimes, actually, uh, we, we don't need to people to believe what the future will look like. We just need things to start moving and keep on moving because one of the things I'm quite aware of is with renewables, actually the uh, the output has been growing exponentially for quite some time, even though some authorities have actually keep on suggesting that it's going to tail off and it never tails off. It keeps on growing exponentially. Absolutely. I mean, this is what I'm often saying. I'm saying that the renewable strain has left the station. Yeah. I think what we need to do right now is to increase its speed. Clearly, a decision like the one happening in the US, uh, is, has. I don't think that it has the potential at all to stop this train. It might delay uh, development a bit, but, uh, but all in all, uh, I think we are on an exciting path. There is uh, still a lot to do and, and also... Uh, there's one thing that I think uh, we 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 must really uh, realize is that through the decentralized nature of renewables, everybody can participate in this energy mm. transition and uh, can have uh, its stake. And what is also very important, we now in this conversation, we mainly focused on the supply side. But of course, we also need to look at the demand side. We need to um, implement energy efficiency measures because the kilowatt hours that are not consumed are the cleanest ones. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is, of course, very important that we not only produce, 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 but we also uh, moderate our consumption. But also one of the things what, what makes me optimistic is the fact that in 2016, uh, this was the third year in a row, where uh, global emissions from the energy sector remain stable mm. while the global economy continues growth 3%. So we actually achieve a decoupling of growth and emissions. And this is largely due to uh, renewable energy and energy efficiency investments. And that is very, very positive because it actually shows that these solutions are really central to uh, reducing uh, CO2 and to combating climate change. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's something I see. Uh, I've heard it said that even Trump's decision could actually uh, benefit action because it kind of unites and stimulates the rest of the world. And now you, be, you, you're, you talk to the rest of the world. You're in China at the moment. Obviously, uh, certainly at the moment, one of the biggest players in a sense. But going forward, will be is the biggest player. Um, what's your thoughts about that kind of like that galvanizing effect of potentially Trump's decision? I mean, of course, uh, right now, I was very encouraging to see that all the remaining G7 countries, China and India, uh, even more committed to the objectives of the, the Paris Agreement that uh, all the countries together uh, agreed upon. Uh, of course, I think there is an inherent danger that some countries might follow the example of the U.S. and pull out. Mm. So I think it's, uh, as we know, that emissions don't stop at the border. It's important mm -hmm to um, to not make that happen. Uh, the other thing is, of course, that the Paris Agreement is an international treaty. So uh, President Trump's decision needs to be respected. But 
in, in absolute terms, this will take about three and a half years to pull the U.S. out of the uh, Paris Agreement. By then, we probably have a new administration and uh, we will see how uh, the world will look like then. Mm, so um, th there is a lot of, uh, of also uh, uncertainty how this all will evolve. And again, uh, I think that um, it was a decision on the on the national level, but on the regional level in the U.S. and also on the corporate level, I don't think that this decision can can stop renewables development. I think uh, renewables also in the U.S. will continue to grow, and, um, and and definitely in the rest of the world, no doubt about this. Yeah, definitely. And uh, another kind of like lever for change is the divestment movement, divesting from uh, funds from fossil fuel uh, by investment bodies. Um, uh, do you see that having much of a role in stimulating the movement away from fossil fuels and by definition then through to uh, renewables? Well, I think it's it's very encouraging to see this because it shows that um, also the, um, the traditional investment sector does not believe that uh, investments in, in fossil fuels in the long term are, uh, are economical investments. And, um, and clearly, uh, the, we had about 250 billion US dollars invested in renewables in order to reach the, the Paris Agreement and the objectives there more needs to happen mm. and so it's encouraging to see that money is divested in in fossil fuels which then could be uh, invested in uh, in new renewables in solar and wind in hydropower in, in biomass and geothermal so uh, this all in all is very positive uh, and and again is it just underlining the fact that um, renewables make a lot of sense economically as well mm, absolutely yeah now so there's 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 a lot of good news that we're hearing, but uh, what could would you say is could be going better? Well, I think uh, what I referred to, I think it's important that we uh, speed up uh, developments, we increase investments. Uh, it's it's not that we have enormous amounts of time uh, ahead of us, and uh, we are also uh, in many many cases we are not very uh, consistent with our policy decisions because on the one hand we uh, support uh, clean technologies, we support renewable energy and on the other hand governments uh, still spend four times more uh, to subsidize fossil fuels than they use to support uh, renewable energy and of course that is counterproductive because it uh, artificially distorts uh, energy prices and uh, and makes it harder for renewables to compete with fossil fuels and and so um, of course we need to to increase investment in renewable energy, mm. but we should also uh, significantly advance the um, phasing out of fossil fuel subsidies. There is uh, there is definitely need uh, to to do that. Yes, and it, so that touches upon uh, the, the role of governments. Um, so how do you see their role in stimulating the development of the solutions? I mean, w what we know is that the energy sector is, uh, is a regulated one. Uh, it is very encouraging to see that we have nowadays 176 countries all around the world with renewable energy targets uh, in place. However, when we look at the policy map, we still see that uh, there are far more policies in the field of power 
with 126 countries and only 68 countries have uh, policies to promote renewables in transport and only 21 countries around the world have policies to promote heating and cooling. Mm. And uh, well, we know that um, uh, more than half of final energy consumption or about half is used to generate heating and cooling. We know that we still have a long way to go to uh, completely decarbonize the energy sector and make our system more uh, sustainable. Yeah, yes, absolutely. So there's, there's, a, there's still, even though it's uh, we can look at the positives of how the market is really driving this, whether it be through the investment sector or through uh, the renewables companies themselves, you know, governments and policymakers still have a, a critical role. Um, but just to finish off on um, the kind of, because uh, the thing that I, one of the things that I find most inspiring is the sm- the businesses, especially the kind of innovative, smaller enterprises. Um, how do you see their them playing a role um, in the, the the renewable revolution that we're seeing happening? I think they're playing a huge role. I mean, we have a situation that um, in, uh, in in the developing countries, uh, pay as you go solar companies have seen a huge uh, uptake in 2012. There were about uh, 3 million US dollars invested in uh, pay-as-you-go solar companies. In 2016, it was 223 million. So it's huge, huge, huge amounts of uh, companies, of jobs, jobs that have been created, micro-enterprises. And uh, not only, of course, in the developing countries, but also in the industrialized world, renewables are decentralized. And so they provide lots of job opportunities for um, people in uh, remote areas, in remote regions. We have altogether 9.8 million people in the world uh, employed by the renewable sector. Tendency is growing. And, uh, and all this is just very exciting as it provides uh, lots of opportunities for for growth. And as I said before, the nice thing about the energy transition with renewables is that really everybody can participate, be it through the purchase of green electricity, be it through installation uh, of solar PV or biomass or solar thermal or geothermal in their own house, um, or be through um, participating in the car sharing program with electric uh, vehicles that uh, that that generate uh, that buy electricity from from green electricity programs. So, uh, lots of opportunities uh, and a very participatory uh, approach, which which I think is great for many people to participate. Yes, and it's um, you know uh, my. Uh, intention for the Inspiring Sustainability podcast is to provide inspiration for all out there. And I think uh, what you're telling me here is is really uh, providing that. So I'm uh, really happy to have uh, spoken to you today about all this, uh, how this renewable revolution has happened. So, uh, Christine, how do we find about uh, yourself personally and also uh, REN21 online? Where, where can the listeners go to find out more about you? Uh, you can so the report comes online on the seventh of June. Um, you can check out our website www.ren21ren21.net/gsr, and there you find the full report. You find the highlights. You find press releases in I think eleven languages, from Arabic to Farsi to Greek to Japanese to Chinese. Uh, you name it, and you also find all the infographics and 
uh, a PowerPoint presentation downloadable. We definitely want uh, your uh, listeners to make use of this information. And of course, we also uh, remain at their disposal for any questions. Brilliant, brilliant. What about yourself? If they want to follow you, um, how do they follow you personally? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, chrlins, uh, like Christine Linz. Mm -hmm. uh, or they can drop me an email at christine.linz at ren21.net. That's wonderful. Right. Okay, then. Well, thank you very much, Christine, for your time. I'm um, very excited that the report is coming out. And uh, hopefully um, this uh, podcast uh, can be a part of getting it out to the, to the world. Um, so this is Adam Woodall on the Inspiring Sustainability Podcast. Thanking Christine. Thank you very much, Adam, for your questions and bye-bye to your listeners. Yes, and uh, yes, goodbye from me. And uh, if you want to find me online, uh, you can find me on uh, www.inspiring-sustainability.com and also Adam Woodhall, all one word, either Twitter or LinkedIn. Very welcome to uh, join me on those platforms. So until the next time, signing off to the listeners, uh, thank you for listening and I uh, hope you have a great day wherever you are in the world. <laughs>